Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canin, where we will address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, Chief Strategy Officer at Stevens & Associates and your host for this conversation. Neonatal and pediatric care is strikingly different from adult care due to the differing physiology of immature and adult animals. In today's episode of Vet Talk with Royal Canin, we will discuss the field of neonatology, including some of the concerns when caring for neonates, the latest research and innovation in the field, and why this work is important for the health and well-being of kittens and puppies. Joining me today for the podcast are Marty Greer, DVM, JD, and owner of Veterinary Village and International Canine Seaman Bank, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Emmanuel Fontaine, DVM, MSc, PhD, Diplomate of the European College of Animal Reproduction, and Regional Scientific Communications Manager for Royal Canaan. Welcome, Dr. Greer. Welcome, Dr. Fontaine. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Benda. So you each have a passion for neonatology. If you would start us out a little bit by sharing a bit about your background and how you became involved with this particular area. Dr. Greer, would you like to start us out? Sure. I started uh, doing small animal practice almost 40 years ago. And after my first year at an emergency clinic, I started a practice where I found fairly quickly that there were no veterinarians in the area that were interested in doing any kind of canine reproduction. Well, canine reproduction kind of leads into neonatology as well, because there are so many differences from, like you said, the um, pediatric and the adult patient to the neonate. And if you do reproduction, inherently you end up with neonates with baby care because as soon as they're on the ground, they're delivered and they're your responsibility. And very few other veterinary clinics are comfortable in managing neonates. They're small, they're delicate, they're fragile, and they require some special skills and some special knowledge to get them through that neonatal period and into adulthood. Really, I mean, interesting way of looking at that, right? From the minute they're born, they hit the ground walking, so to speak, and someone has to watch out for their well-being. Dr. Fontaine, what's what's a little bit about your background? How did you become engaged in this particular area of practice? So that's actually a, an interesting story. And, and before we start, just to make it clear, I'm sure you can hear my thick French accent. So because I'm French, obviously, uh, Dr. Greer told me a long time ago that I will never lose this accent. So I'm keeping it. <laughs> that's true. You told me that. <laughs> So when I was a veterinary student in my third year, I had a female dog and I'm going to skip the detail, but accidentally she was bred and I ended up with nine puppies that she delivered basically in the trunk of my car while I was driving to visit my girlfriend. And, you know, as a veterinary student, I found that quite epic. That was, we had nine puppies. It was amazing. Uh, We were very happy to have them. Unfortunately, two days after they were born, we lost half of the litter. So that was, you know, we were very sad and uh, we cried a lot, obviously. I didn't understand why we lost those puppies. I was like, but what did I do wrong? I thought I got everything covered. So then I started looking into it. I was at the vet school. So I looked into textbooks. I tried to find more about that. And that's how I ended up working at the vet school of Paris in Alfort. I thought I would spend only one year there. I spent seven years, and this is where I entered this field of canine reproduction, where we are, as Dr. Greer mentioned, involved also in neonatal care. And basically, that's how 
I got into it. That's how I got the passion for it because there were, were so many things that we could do in this area to improve things. Uh, seems just like the natural path at that time. That's an interesting story. You went from like the joy of birth and all the excitement there to realizing that without a little bit of support, it may not necessarily sustain itself. So which, which leads me to, you know, help me help the listeners here understand that it's not just about newborn puppies and kittens. I mean, how do we define, you know, veterinary neonatology? Dr. Greer, how, how would you define it? Well, neonates are usually considered puppies or kittens under the age of six weeks. But like I said earlier, there's this transition from the pregnancy to the neonate and then the development of them. And without a healthy pregnancy, without a healthy um, dam, without all those pieces in place, we don't end up with healthy puppies. And as Dr. Fontaine said, I'm also a breeder. So I started off that I just wanted to get one dog. And all of a sudden, the first dog I bought turned me into a breeder because I left the breeder's house with a dog that I signed a contract to breed. So fairly quickly, you learn that if you have an interest in pregnancy, in breeding, that the neonates then follow. So it's, it's a really important transition uh, piece there. So neonates are anything up to six weeks of age, typically maybe eight weeks would be uh, a more loosely defined time period, but it's those little tiny babies that we need to get started. Really good point. So clearly puppies and kittens have been being born for a very long time. Um, and, and, you know, Dr. Fontaine, you mentioned that for seven years, you stayed focused in this area, but isn't this a relatively new field and you know, what has changed now that is bringing all this data and research and the importance of neonatology into the field. I mean, Dr. Fontaine, what have you seen change in your, in your time? Oof, honestly, a lot. Uh, it's actually interesting because, as I told you, because of my little story, I was very interested in this field when I arrived at the vet school, and we started looking into it. I mean, veterinary neonatology is not really something new. I mean, it's been around for a while. However, when it comes specifically to puppies and kittens, it was very interesting to, to see the difference compared to other species. For instance, you would take a bovine neonatology textbook. You might see thousands of pages. You would look in puppies. I don't know. When I started, maybe there were like a couple of, couple of chapters. And in kittens, it was even smaller. So I think over the years, uh, we actually learned tons more in this field. And now we are, we realize that newborn puppies, newborn kittens are much more complex. Uh, we start to realize that actually newborn kittens are very different from newborn puppies as well. While for a long time, we were just dealing with them the, the exact same way. So it moved tremendously. And especially since in 2016, I attended the International Symposium on Canine and Feline Reproduction. It was in Paris. There were actually several publications that were done on this topic. And those publications were actually really changing the way we were seeing things in the past, in my opinion. I remember watching those posters and I was like, ah, oh, that's not what I read in the textbooks. That's pretty different. That really, and, and I think it all started from there. And now it's really expanding. We have more and more teams working on that. So the future is really bright in this discipline. Can't wait to see what's coming in the future there. That's that's interesting. As a as an everyday practicing veterinarian, well, okay, there's nothing everyday about you, Dr. Greer, but as a practicing veterinarian, your breeder status aside, I mean, what do you think has changed in the practice of veterinary medicine that has caused 
more practitioners to be interested in this area? Well, the literature suggests that somewhere between 10 and 40% of all puppies and kittens conceived die before they reach uh, six months of age, which is an, an enormous number. And I think that people have become aware of that and clients have become more demanding and have an expectation that they're not going to lose any puppies during the birth process or any puppies in the early, early neonatal period because they don't think that's an acceptable thing to do. And technologically, we are advancing things pretty fast. We have blood machines that can run blood samples on tiny little drops of blood. We can ultrasound, we can x-ray with digital x-ray, we can get really nice x-rays on puppies, we can ultrasound puppies. So we now have the ability to do diagnostics on these neonates that we didn't have before. And like I said, things like Animal Planet and other kinds of um, publicity have made people sensitized and aware that we should be able to do a better job. Now, there's currently not a specialty of pediatrics or neonatology in veterinary medicine. So I think that our next step is to see that that could be developed. I know some of the literature that Dr. Fontaine shared with me and has moved me forward as a practitioner was the information from Toulouse and the NeoCare um, studies that were done that give us some pretty good ideas of some foundational pieces so that I can now go forward and teach my clients that this amount of weight loss is acceptable. This is not, this is what we should expect for temperature ranges. This is what we should expect for blood glucose levels. These are techniques that we can use to support puppies. So I think that there's a lot of information that's flowing into the field. And now we're being able to disperse it through Royal Canaan and through other uh, opportunities that we're now educating our clients and their expectations are being raised. And that's great news because the more educated our um, puppy raisers are, the better job they can do of successfully raising 100% of their litters. It's unacceptable to lose a 40% um, number of puppies. Really good points, Dr. Greer, especially the perspective of um, pet owners are expecting more, breeders are expecting more than maybe they did once upon a time. Do you feel it's a compassion situation that is driving this more so or a business um, unit, you know, we're talking about losing percentages of puppies, or is it some combination of both? I'd, I'd like to hear the perspective of each of you on that. Sure. And I would say it's both. Uh, clients see it as a financial loss, but more importantly, they see it emotionally. Uh, it's very difficult for a client to lose one puppy or to lose more puppies than that in a litter. Emotionally, they take quite a toll because people put their heart and soul into this. They sleep next to the whelping box. They drive across the country to do a breeding. They spend a huge amount of money on frozen semen. I mean, it's not just about money. It's that these are genetics that are lost forever. If we lose these puppies, these are really important things to our breeders and they are really upping their expectations. So it's putting more pressure on us as veterinarians, but it's also putting more pressure on themselves to do a better job of raising these puppies. So it's, it's great news for the puppies, um, but it, it's a lot more work and there's no question that our breeders now, if they're large scale breeders have staffs of people that are helping them, they're not just trying to do this on their own. So it's been a really interesting evolution of how things have gone, especially as the demand for puppies has increased. Indeed it has. Dr. Fontaine, your perspective. I definitely echo what Dr. Greer just said. And again, I still go back to this story, but you understand that this is very, it's very dear to me actually because I always remember how I felt when I, when I realized I arrived and I saw that those puppies are functionally were, were not alive anymore. So I, I think that when, when we have the opportunity to lecture, we always ask people to reflect a little bit on that. And, and you can see that they're thinking, wow, 
we lost those puppies. It's terrible because as, as Dr. Greer said, there's an emotional attachment to them. So now we do not accept anymore to lose 20% of puppies or kittens from a litter. And, and I often see kind of a, a parallel with human medicine, so to speak, because if we go back, uh, I never remember if it was in the 50s or 60s, but uh, at a certain point in, in human history, we have also had a very high rate of neonatal mortality. And people suddenly decided, oh, no, we cannot accept that anymore. So they tried to fix it. And this is when neonatology really took off with new developments like the Apgar scores and things like that. Virginia Apgar, uh, who is the, the, the creator of those Apgar scores, she was a human anesthesiologist. And she just couldn't bear to see that some babies were dying. And uh, nobody was actually able to detect that something was wrong with them. Uh, today, we are following the same path, I think, because we are more and more attached to our pets. And, and that's why, for instance, in veterinary medicine, we now have Apgar scores. We basically took the Apgar scores and adapted them to what we see in puppies and kittens. And now we can use them to detect as early as possible if a puppy or a kitten is at risk or not. And that really changes the game, in my opinion. Yeah, really interesting. I, this is such an, an interesting conversation. I think we could carry on for a really long time here. But in the interest of trying to make this a relatively concise podcast for people, um, let's circle back um, to, to wrap up on some of those top concerns. Because obviously, the audi our audience here is veterinarians and, and people in veterinary practice. So there are differences you've pointed out between you know older puppies and older kittens than the neonates. So what are, would you say, a couple of the biggest concerns for practicing veterinarians to be aware of when neonates come into their care. Dr. Fontaine, would you like to start? Oh, I can start. And I, 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 I have lots of stories around that. One I'm always thinking of is the, the temperature. Uh, because when I was at the vet school, I, I was doing emergency consultations. And I remember one night, somebody brought me a newborn Rottweiler puppy, three days old. So, you know, I was a, uh, a young veterinarian. So I did my basic clinical exam. And I took the temperature of this puppy and it came back 36 degrees Celsius, which, uh, how much would that be in Fahrenheit? That would be about <laughs> 97, 98. Thank you so much, Dr. Greer. Sorry, I still need to work on my conversions. <laughs> but you see, I, I, I had this and I was like, oh, but that's very different from an adult. This puppy needs to be warmed up. So I was freaking out, honestly, but that was actually totally normal. Because for a newborn puppy, newborn puppies are always colder, so to speak, than an adult dog. And same thing in kittens. And I didn't know that. And actually, it's very important because very often when we find orphan puppies, orphan kittens, uh, I work a lot with shelters, and this is something I see very often. We find them, and the first thing we want to do, we're like, oh, but they, they, they must be so hungry. So we want to bottle feed them. Actually... The first thing you should do is to warm them up because if they are cold, if they are below this uh, top temperature, they cannot digest. And hypothermia is actually very critical. And that's a mistake I've seen many students do because they simply don't know. I didn't know. That can be easily fixed. Just knowing the right temperature in a newborn puppy and a newborn kitten is different from an adult. For a foundational piece of information right there, certainly. Dr. Greer, a, a biggest concern or, or tip that you would like to leave the audience with today? 
Well, puppies, as Dr. Fontaine said, don't have the resources that an adult dog has. They can't tolerate the fluctuations in temperature, in blood glucose. They don't have the glucose stores in their liver that they need to um, sustain themselves if they're off food. If they become ill, they are not as sturdy. They're not able to resound and uh, re rebound as quickly as they would have if they were an adult dog. So we have to understand that they don't have the resources. But what we do need to know as veterinarians is if they're newborns, they're just little dogs. You don't have to you know, throw up your arms and say, I don't know what to do with this. You would do the same thing that you would do with an adult dog. If it's dehydrated, you give a fluids. If it's got low glucose, you give glucose. If it's underweight, you need to feed it more. If it's got abnormal blood values or abnormal changes on the ultrasound or on the x-ray, you address those. So the important thing is that you know you can do diagnostics, you know you can do blood work, you can do x-ray, you can do ultrasound. You don't just go, oh, it's a little puppy and I don't know what to do with it. You would just do a basic diagnostic workup like you would anyone else. Now we give plasma, we do a few things to puppies that we wouldn't do with some of our adult dogs, but many of the things are the same. And if you will take the time to get a good history, get a good physical exam, do some diagnostics, and then do a little bit of reading or a little bit of research on how you should do this. And there are lots of really great resources now in, in textbooks, online, uh, for how you can support these dogs. If you can give them some supportive care and just kind of get out of the way and not, not interfere too much with what's going on, a lot of these puppies do very, very well. If you give them food, give them heat, give them the supportive care that they need, maybe an antibiotic, maybe not, not every dog needs one but support them, support the, the mother dog and support the, the breeder as well. And sometimes we forget the breeder needs support. They've been up all night. They're tired. They're, they're not thinking clearly. They're really upset. So sometimes just that supportive care to the, the human that's involved as well can make a huge difference in the ability of them to then go forward and successfully raise a litter when they have sick puppies or, or puppies that have something wrong or kittens. Start them out right. Great. Yes, Dr. Fontaine. Well, I was going to jump on that and, and, and just complete what uh, Dr. Greer just said. I think it means that for veterinarians, we need to know what's normal and what's not in a newborn because we can do all these things. Again, when I, when I was freaking out with this little Rottweiler because I didn't know. I simply didn't know. Today, we have the resources. We can clearly define what's normal or not. To, to give you an example, we were talking about dehydration. When I was evaluating dehydration in a newborn puppy back in the days, I was just pinching the skin because that's what I learned at the vet school to do in adults. Actually, it doesn't work in newborn puppies and kittens because the composition of the skin is very different. So if you pinch the skin, you will nearly always think that they are dehydrated. Well, that's a wrong guess. You shouldn't do that. I learned it the hard way. And, and today, fortunately, we have resources, textbooks, etc. So that would be my, my key recommendation. Make sure you have access to those references and refer to them when you do a clinical exam on a newborn. That will totally change the game here, clearly. This has been a really fascinating conversation. A lot of good foundational knowledge out there available now to, to practicing veterinarians and, and veterinary technicians that we hope they will take advantage of that they didn't have perhaps when you, Dr. Fontaine, um, started your own practice career and yours as well, Dr. Greer. But um, thank you very much for taking time, both of you, to be with us uh, to talk about the subject today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That was a lot of fun.